0: Welcome to The People on k 1630
1: AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. Our guests today are Tomary Dodge and Nicholas Shaikh. Tomary Dodge is a painter from Los Angeles where he is represented by Acme Gallery.
2: There's definitely been a, a dialogue to some degree with abstract, abstract expressionism in my work. It, I guess it did start with that question of how, how does abstract painting function now? still not coming up with, like, a, a concise answer, really. And I think, you know, there's a lot of doubt involved in that, and I think that's really important.
0: Also joining us in conversation about their work in the present state of abstraction in contemporary painting is Los Angeles-based artist Nicholas
3: Shake. You know, you don't have the shirtless group of Avexers in front of a, you know, an a 11-foot painting in, in a gigantic loft in Chelsea, um, but m- maybe we're looking at the opposite of that like these are no longer heroic
1: acts the people features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of los angeles the west coast and beyond on k chung a.m every third sunday at 3 p.m like a broken record magically repaired
0: you can listen to the people on the live stream at kchungradio.org that's k-c-h-u-n-g-radio.org or you can find us on itunes by searching for the people radio Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the
1: show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on the People at the top of the page to find out more. But first, a new installment of Notes from the People, an ongoing project where we invite the People, past, present, and future, to self-produce a short segment for the show.
0: This episode, New Orleans, Louisiana correspondent Joseph Makos talks about his archive of the New Orleans newspaper of record, the Times-Picayune, from 1885 to 1930. Interviewing Joseph is Bernard Pierce, a musician and sound engineer, also known as One Man Machine, and he's also the founder of the Great American Fried Chicken Festival.
4: We're here in New Orleans, Louisiana, with Mr. Joseph Makos and his NOLA DNA project. Joseph, uh, how are you doing today? Tell us a little bit about NOLA DNA. I'm doing
5: all right. I'm uh, buried in a pile of newspaper tubes. (laughs) I can see that. Exactly how many uh, newspapers are in your studio right now? It's hard to estimate at this point, but it's considered maybe, we'll consider it maybe 30,000 or so. Uh, newspaper sections from 1888 through 1930. It's actually three different newspapers. It's the Daily Pecune and the Times Democrat, which merged in 1914 to become the Times Pecune.
4: So Uh, a year and a half ago, you discovered this listing on Craigslist, and uh, it seems like you were at the right place at the right time.
5: It is one of those situations where uh, it's come together all at the right time. Uh this collection itself is uh, just an outstanding specimen. And it's uh, very per- particular and very special because when people think of newspapers, they oftentimes just think of this sort of boring columns of type, the price of bananas or the price of sugar or what have you. It's actually a, a very well-illustrated uh, newspaper of the day. and. The interesting thing about the collection is that this particular collection has all of the supplemental material with it. And the supplemental material is what really adds to the scope of understanding the types of printing that were done in this period of time. And specifically out of New Orleans. Out of New Orleans. Now, the newspapers did syndicate a lot of content, but uh, it's very special work, and it's it's work from the heyday of newspapers, really. Um, some examples of the content are full color comics, which are considered uh, the platinum age of comics. There are rotogravure prints, which are these photo quality, processed, full page uh, photo prints from the 20s. And then there's uh, Sunday magazine sections that are in full color litho. And then there's also little obscure things like. The Harry Houdini Red Magic Papers, which is right. a kid's puzzle section. And the,
4: the colors are so vibrant that it's astonishing that a, a newspapers from the, the 1900s, the early 1900s, even the 1800s are, are so
5: well preserved. Well, in all my research, I've read that it depends really on how the newspapers were kept for about the first 50 you know, to 60 years of their life. And these were actually held in the British Library in England until they were deaccessioned in around the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And so if they were kept in good conditions, under good temperatures, and they were in their original bound editions, which what would happen is they would put an entire month in one edition with a big leather bound cover. And Absolutely. that would actually push the air, it would keep the air out of the papers. And, you know, there was no, clearly there was no digital media at the time, so they were keeping a record of uh, the history of, this, of the United States through its uh, main media of the day, which was newspapers. Right. Yeah, Nicholson Baker writes, a, wrote a book uh, on the entire topic and the, on the entire process of deaccessioning this sort of content mm-hmm. uh, from uh, libraries. Because one library would hear that another library or an institution was microfilming it. But the problem that we've, we understand now in 2015 is when researchers go back in and they attempt to look at the microfilm. It's very hard to search. The, right. the, 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 photog- the photography in it is, is all washed out. It's all high contrast. It's lost its grayscale. So what we're going to do with this project, with the NOLA DNA project, is we're going to go back from the originals. And we're going to use the latest technology and the latest search capabilities. And we're going to digitize all the papers to create a new archive which will contribute to scholarship and research across the board.
4: Which hasn't been possible because in earlier times it was
5: documented uh,
4: in analog and then the newspapers were destroyed.
5: Many collections were destroyed. I'm sure at some point in time many libraries across the country uh, had content, Mm -hmm. had these newspapers but what happened was, is they just decided that they were going to get rid of it.
4: Right. Tell us about the future of uh, this project.
5: There's been lots of different directions in talking with cu- with curators and talking with um, museum people and archivists and librarians. Um, there's a lot of opportunity here. There's a lot of things that we can do. Um, ultimately, I'd like to see this set up as a as a print history museum down here. Print history museum with an with a living archive, with a, a, a historical print shop and a research center where people can come and access the data. But also, I want to see this really brought into the digital world in a new way that's really never been done before. And we can do that because we have the originals. You see, this archive spans a very interesting, very particular time period in the history of uh, media. And this is considered the golden age of illustration. So because it runs from the late 19th century, the 1880s, all the way up to 1930. We have a lot of things happening in world history. We have the advent of photography in, in mass media coming into the newspapers. Um, we also have just changes in the way that we understand the world. And so if people want to find out
4: more about what you're doing or want to contribute, where would they find you?
5: You can check out uh, noladna.com, and as well you can uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at New Orleans DNA.
4: So that's DNA. Dot com and the Twitter account is again
5: New Orleans DNA.
4: New Orleans DNA, the People Radio special report from the field. We're talking here with Mr. Joseph Mekos and his amazing archive of New Orleans history.
1: Now let's get to our conversation with Tamari Dodge and Nicholas Shake. Tom Dodge and Nicholas Shake, welcome to the people.
0: Yeah, welcome, Thank you. guys. Thank yeah. you.
1: Thanks. So you guys are both painters, and I know that uh, in your work, you share an interest in the desert. So can you guys talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Um, I guess for me, it kind of started when uh, I moved out to, to uh, Los Angeles, more or less, uh, to Santa Clarita to go to CalArts. Um, at the time, I was kind of... Uh, um, having, you know, kind of, I guess, a painting crisis is, is like, I think, like all young painters or any painter has, um, uh, kind of not knowing how to, you know, make paintings in, in, in that particular time, you know, uh, it's like the early 2000s. And there's uh, kind of having this question of like, what, what does it mean to make a painting? And at it, 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 the kind of turn of the millennium or whatever you know how do how does one go about that and there was a lot of people dealing with uh uh kind of figuring out ways to incorporate um you know so-called digital imagery or 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 attempting to do that there's a lot of people uh um a lot of appropriation um and you know I think those things are still very present but uh i was uh I i was kind of trying to do something along those lines and it just doesn't didn't feel right for whatever reason um and i kids started kids with no friends kids with no friends right like... one of my favorite things. yeah, right. yeah. um and uh and and uh, i i it started to kind of uh think of painting and like the history of painting is in a way of like a map almost um which you know no longer had any frontier space on it anymore it was like you know all the discoveries had kind of been made um and uh just trying to figure out you know how do you maneuver you know still in in that kind of situation and um becoming interested in the idea of like you know kind of in between spaces that had been kind of glossed over left uh vacant and undefined for for whatever reason and um Through that, I think I started to kind of look at the uh, kind of periphery around Los Angeles as it spread out into the desert and like these these kind of ill-defined places where, you know, there there's definitely like a human presence, but it was, uh, you know, the nature of it was very um, kind of. Undefined, kind of sketchy, you know, like places where you, people just dump trash or go and you know get stoned and hang out and shoot stuff and whatever, <laughs> and so um, I, I uh, started taking trips out into the into the desert. And the first uh, first trips I took out were basically you know around Palmdale um, and in the, the that that uh, Antelope Valley area, and just started getting uh, kind of ideas for paintings there and like seeing you know these kind of abandoned structures that have been vandalized and, you know, stripped down and, you know, these just weird places and, um, started making paintings, uh, inspired by, by, uh, spaces like that. Um, and then I think, you know, as the work progressed, you know, and my work started to become more abstract, I think I, in a way kind of tried to, um, take that kind of process that those spaces had gone through, or those structures have gone to and apply those to like making a painting in general or making like an abstract painting with like those kind of processes in mind. Yeah. And Nicholas,
3: you're from one of those ill-defined places where people shoot things. Correct? <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, I mean, my, my origin story starts in Palmdale, California where Tom Ree was inspired by. And uh, I grew up out there, my dad was a, a engineer, and we moved out there because he was working for for Lockheed. And uh, then in 2008, I had just finished at RISD, and I had moved back in Palmdale. One of the, it was one of the hardest hit places by the financial crisis and the housing crisis. It had the highest rate of foreclosures in Los Angeles County at the time. And in between uh, my time at RISD and Claremont, I was going out into these deserts and exploring all this. This garbage that was being dumped in these deserts from these uh, housing tracks that, that had been just left abandoned by foreclosures. And uh, a little similar to, to what Tomary was saying, I, I got to Claremont and I was shoved in this white box of a studio and I was really unhappy, didn't know why I was there, didn't know if I wanted to be there. And my escape was to, to go back to Palmdale. And I started exploring these deserts for a different reason for an artistic purpose. And uh, I started photographing a lot of the the things that had been dumped out there and that eventually involved into me building these arrangements in the desert and lighting them and photographing them and those inspiring paintings and other sculptures I was doing. And it was these interstitial spaces that that were so interesting to me. and And these things just on the outskirts, you know, this is a portion of, LA County that uh, people don't know is part of LA and that that was really exciting to me to go out there explore this, a place that I had a personal attachment with and bring it back and kind of de- deconstruct it in the studio and uh, it was also inspired by you know, classical I hear, archetypes of uh, painting I, w- I had just read a, a book by Norman Bryson uh, Looking at the Overlooked which is a one of the few books really delving into still life painting. And then I uh, read a great TJ Clark essay on John Francois Millet. Um, and these ideas that they were discussing in there, I felt really applied to these things I was dealing with in the desert and this kind of, uh, this unease and this dissatisfaction with the powers that be. And, uh, And so I was building these big structures in the desert at the time. And and for me, they were monumental still lifes, you know, and and the desert, I think one of the most amazing uh, things about it is that horizon that you get nowhere else, you know, spending time on the East Coast, you have these densely wooded areas and uh, that has its own beauty. But uh, the desert, you know, this more Breaking Bad type of desert (laughs) uh, for me, (laughs) it was this gorgeous horizon and uh and it was like a tabletop for still life
1: you know smithson i always go back to smithson with the desert i mean he talked about um the ocean or the desert both being Mm -hmm. these kinds of infinite spaces and talking about that kind of horizon the uninterrupted Mm -hmm. horizon and how uh the possibility that space makes and then also for some reason also smithson i'm thinking uh With kind of going into these spaces and it's not totally an empty horizon like you said there's like people dump trash or there's just and then i think about smithson's like passaic uh that whole writing piece where he's just kind of finding the weird objects you know Mm -hmm. and and things and treating them in a like more like giving them actually their due as weird objects Mm -hmm. just kind of in this infinite like lost space is it Similar to that, it's like you're going out there and you're finding a complete, like you said, a tabletop almost.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, littered with like contemporary artifacts or ruins. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean the, the I was discovering whole households from from yeah. carpet to drywall. Mm-hmm. You know, I've um, record collections, all kinds of things out there, and it, it some things were very banal, uh, you'd find them anywhere, and other things were very very personal, uh, and and for me initially it felt really intrusive to go out and to interact with these things. And, and uh, for a long time, I was just standing back kind of observing it uh, because I felt like if I, I started to interact, I became part of the problem. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't uh, a problem of, you know, an environmental issue. These were socioeconomic issues right. that I was discovering. And, uh, and in the desert, because of everything is the same color. And the moment one little artifact that's foreign is dumped out there and you come upon it, it's so easy to tell. And that was something that was really amazing. You know, you just wander through and even a small broken shutter glass in the dirt stands out so much. Right. Because yeah. it's not brown. Right. 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 Yeah. And the desert quickly turns every everything brown. Yeah. You know, the sun out the there sun is, is just daunting. Really right? quickly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also interesting. I mean, for me anyway, it was interesting to think of the kind of starkness of the desert and and these things that you know if you come across out there is like somehow uh, referencing like a, like a blank canvas in a way. Like it's almost like the the desert is a stage or like as a blank canvas, and then like these events happen on it and, and in it, um, and uh, and so that I think that that kind of you know, led, led to a lot of my thinking about my own work that way.
3: No, I agree with that. That's something I've always thought it's, it's the closest thing in nature to a blank canvas. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty amazing place. And, and I think both me and Tom are discussing a desert that's, that's very different than um, like what you would discover like uh in marfa yeah. or sedona it's, it's
2: it, not the georgia o'keefe desert right you know, it's, it's, it's 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 uh you know in a way corrupted you know right it, it's
0: it's a place of failure too yeah a socioeconomic failure and yeah environmental failure yeah the, whole, the whole bit
2: that's yeah. and then also you know there's like a huge tradition you know at least in the american west and the, the american desert of, of people going out there to kind of start like a new or to build like an ideal uh uh, uh you know kind of utopia in a way and and you know so there's like this uh, these these transcendent aims that often you know do fail you know or maybe inevitably fail and so you have that kind of the the remnants of that which um i've always found really interesting too just as just that, how that kind of uh that space that occupies in in the, the american psyche in general
3: right yeah the failed utopias and uh yeah yano yeah. yano yano del rio yeah. Yeah. is that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Which you can
0: find some really disgusting, sad, beautiful trash at. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, even among these
3: ruins from 19... It's the 20s, right? Yeah. 20? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it
1: was the yeah, mm. inner war period. Yeah. Right.
3: Yeah, and and uh, in the Mojave Desert and stretching out, uh, there were people still homesteading. And uh, that was something that was really interesting to to discover, too. You know, it, the, these were people who still believed in Manifest Destiny. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Or just want to get away. I mean, anyone who's driven through that area, it's not just piles of garbage and stuff. Like occasionally you'll see a very small trailer way off the road. Right.
3: yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that's beautiful about it to to both me and Tomary is uh, the desert is about solitude. And, uh, I know when I go out there and I work, uh, it, it's very rare that, that anyone's ever with me. And, uh, on occasion I run into people out there, which is always kind of a uh, interesting thing. And you mm-hmm. have to be very cautious. Uh, you usually, it's just the, the drive by and wave to know, like, we're both going to leave each other alone. Right. Cause there's no help, right? Like there's, there's no, there's, there's no, no authority to appeal yeah. to. Out right. There. Right. And, but it's that solitude that, that. Uh, you know, it's when I'm out there, it's my studio, right. You know, and, and just like my studio, I like a lot of solitude and sublime terror. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, there's also the whole like apocalyptic aspect of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of, of those places too. And just like that kind of, you know, interaction with, with another person out there. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, there it, shouldn't it, be, there shouldn't be. And, and and when there is, it's kind of like, I think, you know, there's this, moment where you each one is kind of sizing up you know what the other one's there for you know yeah. it's like you know um yeah I mean it's 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 something you'd uh kind of imagine in like you know some post-apocalyptic sci-fi world or something All right you know? yeah like, and, what, what, what's your deal you know yeah and there yeah. becomes
3: that moment of uh people want to discover who is the owner you know, of this, of this territory. And, uh, sometimes even if you're not the legal owner, uh, people still take ownership of it. Right. And so there's always a kind of a little battle running into people out there with someone kind of claiming this is mine, Mm -hmm. whether it is or not. And, uh, so you have to tread lightly and hopefully it's just Mike Davis but it also right. might, be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> might right. be a meth head. Yeah. Yeah. Could go yeah. either way. Yeah.
1: And so how did, how does this kind of really make it like in a practical way into the work in a direct way?
2: Well, in my case early on, it was, uh, you know, kind of uh, more or less like these literal, uh, depictions of, of these, uh, these scenes or, uh, you know, in abandoned houses and, uh, and uh you know kind of fields of of just detritus or whatever um and you know i used i would use that kind of like um these odd objects you know as a as a foil for kind of exploring painting you know in in like a very material like material based way um and uh then as as the work progressed i i got um i got a Little, I don't know. I mean, it's complicated how it all happened, but I, I basically started to uh, try to move away from like these literal depictions, um, and I became more interested in uh, kind of uh, in incorporating uh, just like these the unfolding of events, like uh, you know, uh, on on the canvas itself in, in more of an abstract way, like, uh, you know, establishing something, you know, tearing it down or or altering it in some way and then in another way. And so, you know, kind of getting the, the painting itself into try trying to get the painting itself into this, uh, state where it, it, at least to me seemed, uh, unsettled in a way to maybe, you know, to, to be, um, liminal in a sense where it wasn't, you know, you weren't sure exactly how it was located, you know, in, 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 um, and, 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 and,
1: um. Is that kind of, uh, that, that kind of change that you made, do you think, in a way, is that trying to depict more the, almost the psychogeographic space as opposed yeah, to the literal? Exact, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you,
0: and you start, you start with photographs as well, and Nicholas. I, I did. I didn't start with photos. You did not.
2: I mean, I would take photographs kind right. of as references, but I'd never work directly from them.
0: Right. But that was a part of it. And Nicholas yeah. start sometimes starts and ends with photographs. Yeah. I'm thinking of those constructions right. with a the very theatrical yeah. lighting. Correct. Right. Yeah. And so, what is it about take, taking the photo? I mean, is it just? I mean, it's different, obviously. Yeah. for The two of you.
2: I think for me, I mean, I actually I did want originally to take photographs to work from, and I just um in a way it it, that that kind of I always I've always not just in like my own work but in any work I always question that jump between like the the photograph to the painting and like what the point of that is and how important is that to like have that photographic referent be the starting point like is that necessary and and it I figured in my case eventually that it wasn't and um you know, I think there's a lot of people that go out there and take photographs, and there's a lot of kind of, you know, in, in in like a documentarian sense. And I think you know that works really interesting and really important, but it's not what I wanted to do, and it's not something I was necessarily very good at either. Um, I felt anyway. So it's like, uh, yeah, it was a way to kind of. Um, I mean, a lot of those a lot of those early paintings were somewhat based in maybe photographs I'd taken. Um, but then eventually it was just like kind of based in memory and then made up stuff, you know, just think making things up in like, you know, that kind of, I guess, spirit of what I'd seen out there, you know? Um, <laughs> so dismissive. Yeah. The
1: <laughs>
3: yeah. And uh, yeah. initially when I started going out and photographing a lot of the stuff out there, I, I was doing it because I was going to take them back to my studio and use it as reference for, for pinnings I was making. And um, then uh, it evolved further and and the photos started to become photos on their own and, and I was looking at it, I was like, why this is a piece of work on its own. It doesn't need to be a painting. There's mm-hmm. no reason for it to be a painting. And so when I when I was working on, on my paintings, uh initially they were very closely based on on photographs I was taking and and then evolved away from that. And I had such a intimate knowledge of all these objects I was dealing with and it was so ingrained and, in my memory That a photograph became unnecessary, and actually, uh, it it harmed the process of the painting. Uh, And how how so? I I became beholden to the photograph, you know, um, and and I didn't like that, and I I wasn't enjoying even making the paintings, you know, and and you know I, I I didn't the whole reason I had. Uh, gone out into the desert in the first place was because of a uh, unhappiness in my studio and uh, I learned a, a lot quicker with this project that you know if I just made the painting a painting and let the things that I had been dealing with influence it I was so much happier and I was creating better work also and uh, then I was also making the photographs out there that to some people kind of resembled paintings themselves so uh, I didn't want to compete with that. Yeah. So when do when do the lights when do the lights come in? Because you do
0: there's like pur- purplish use theatrical is the only yeah. way I can describe. Oh it. no, it's
3: it's very yeah. theatrical and, and that's uh, it's very purposeful and and those uh, the structures I built out there are, are temporary and it's usually only one sided. I'm only photographing it from a single side and uh, those came about. I was I was going out and I was interacting with all the materials out there and I was building things and and uh, this question kept coming up of, uh, are you just documenter- documenting like a performance or, or something else out there? And I had to figure out how to, to remove that question from the conversation. And so I was like, well, if I make it so that, that the photograph is the only true document of the event, like you couldn't see it in person, it can never be seen again, only the photograph can be seen. Um So the lights came into play and it was something that it was a really simple idea. And one day I I ran to the dollar store and bought a whole basket full of flashlights and I went out to the desert and I built a structure and I shoved the lights in there and did a few long exposures. And I was like, yeah, all right, I like this.
0: Uh, And there's, I mean, and Tom, there's an, there's an element of, I'm going to stop saying the word theatricality (laughs) last time. There's an element of theatricality or staging, uh, in, in your, maybe not what you're doing now, but mm-hmm. in the older in the older yeah. ones where it, you know, looks more like a thing, like an exploding trailer right, or right. whatever. Right, Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, and it, yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to, uh, uh, I mean, I think maybe more often than not, it comes out of just, uh, you know, kind of landscape painting, you know, that kind of tradition. And then, uh, uh, you know, applying that tradition to, to that setting. Um But also, I mean, I think you know it does, you know, go back to that idea of the desert itself as like a stage or a blank canvas, you know, um, uh, you know, an empty space for something to happen or for something to occur, Um, uh, you know. Which I mean, I you know, I think I think there's there's uh, something to that in in like just American right you know not just american but just like the, i specifically i can think i can say american relationship to the landscape in general you know and the way the country evolved and you know and it,
1: especially in the west especially yeah. in the
2: west yeah. yeah and the the place the, the idea of the west occupies you know in
1: in the american psyche too you're listening to the people on k 1630 a.m. i'm matthew timmons
0: and i'm ben white You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show.
1: We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more.
0: We're going to return to our conversation with Tomary Dodge and Nicholas Shake in a few minutes. But first, we'll hear a recording of Allison Carter reading from her newly released poetry collection, Here vs. Elsewhere, on Insert Blanc Press at Commonwealth and Council in Los Angeles this past November.
6: And so I'm going to finish with um, some elements of advice, um, which you can take or not. And for, can you notice if someone loves you and or because? As in, I love you and you are my mother versus I love you because you are my mother. I love you for being my wife. It is a question of restraint or confinement. FYI, I'm feeling wobbly and baggy this week. When we meet for brunch, Christopher's beard shows up and then he shows up right after it. He's not baggy in his beard. I love you, baby girl in the snow. I love you in the rain. I love you while I fill out skirts. The thicket underneath becomes tight, then lifts very free. The mail goes out every day at the same time. Try not to stand there in the mud, waiting for the mailman to come. The hibernation season is not coming for several years. This is tough luck, and you need to stick there and stop. You're not allowed to drown. The house loves you, but not you, as in it loves the version of me that sucks on the house, looking for that taste of iron that sometimes I remember from rain. Travel in a car is not travel because you're sitting up straight. Travel in an airplane is travel because you lean at takeoff and landing. Drowning is not travel, it's interception. Sliding through breakfast is travel. I can sit on you and rock, and sometimes that will be travel. Releasing somebody from obligation or pressure is an incision in the looper, which is travel. I fire an arrow at you, and sometimes you turn around, sometimes not. Christopher cannot loose the arrow and be the arrow simultaneously.
1: Now let's return to our conversation with Tomari Dodge and Nicholas Shake.
0: So let's talk a little bit about what I've perceived to be a, a proliferation of abstract painting. It seems like I, that's, I see a lot of it uh, everywhere all the time Mm -hmm. and i I could be imagining this but i i think that's sort of a more recent development do you guys agree
2: yeah i mean it's yeah there's definitely it's definitely kind of having a moment i guess you could say um and uh i'm not exactly sure how it got to this point but um i think a lot of it has to do with uh uh, a lot of the speculation that's gone on, like, you know, m- art market wise with a lot of uh, young painters. Um, uh, and, and I do not name anybody off the, off, you know, overly, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's pretty obvious, you know, it, it, what, what, what Jerry Saltz is kind of called zombie formalism or zombie abstraction. You know, it's, it's, it, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, kind of like empty empty abstraction, you know, that's uh that that you can make a lot of really easily, quickly, you know. And sometimes um,
0: very uh formally brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah,
2: know? I don't think you can dismiss all of it, but there's definitely a lot of uh work out there that that um doesn't doesn't really do much but but be there, you know. Um yeah.
1: Well, what you were saying earlier in the show about um crisis in painting and Mm -hmm. seeing like oh so we've done all this stuff and there didn't seem like there was a a new frontier in that practice i i mean i took note in i want to say like around 09 or 2010 i felt like i I mean i saw like a favist show that was so clearly like a favist show and it seemed not as much dragged down by its like reference as just kind of being like okay well so let's go back and explore some like you were saying like some territories That maybe got glossed over where there's still, there's still actually something to do there. Yeah. I, I think that besides just saying that it's the market, I think there's also the market noticed that painters were, I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like the market noticed that painters were going back and like exploring territories and kind of finding new material to work with yeah
2: i think definitely and i also think there's always like a back and forth you know once uh once once something gets a a fair amount of attention and um you know people realize there's money to be made you so you know there's a lot of people that jump into that you know for whatever reason and some of it i think is you know, very, very sincere and, like, you know, uh, these, like, you know, interesting explorations and then, you know, there's also the the other end of it, which is less so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but it has become, there's so much right now and it's, it is, it does seem so ubiquitous that, um, yeah, it's, it's almost hard to tell, like, you know, which is which at this point, I think. No, yeah, I, I
3: mean, oh, go ahead. No, I, I agree with that. It, I think uh, in kind of 2009 2010 is when it started to have its big resurgence again the abstraction you know uh, for a while people were kind of glossing over it as just kind of this empty thoughtless work and they wanted something with more content uh, conceptually intellectually mm-hmm. and, and in every way and uh, i'm curious to see what the re- reaction is going to be from other artists to this this big movement in abstraction now and that kind of being the boon of the art market and 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 kind of creating uh, this this false bubble of prosperity yeah because under under all
0: these things we're talking about we don't even need to say it i mean an abstract a medium-sized or large abstract painting is the easiest thing to sell because every because they're often beautiful
3: mm-hmm. and you can oh, put correct. them on the wall yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with beautiful sure and yeah. uh and so people are also leaning the other way. So they're trying to actually purposely make ugly abstraction, thinking that uh, that will be controversial. And uh, I think there's so many people doing that now too that that's no longer working. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's it's interesting to see see what's going to happen. Uh, and everyone is being influenced by everyone, and uh, you know the the reaction to it, the Jerry Salt Salt's article. It's good that it's being discussed, and I, I think that's something that we need to take note of, too, because f- for a long time it wasn't being discussed why people were just cranking out this work like yes. this. Right.
1: So, in the Jerry Saltz article that we're talking about, I think was maybe six months ago? Mm, yeah, it sounds right. In the Times, right? Yeah. And he, like... I mean, he did not hesitate to name name names, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, and there were some people that I know tangentially that were like, "I'm so glad to be in that article, even though <laughs> right. it's like an example of what's quote yeah. bad." Right. But right. he also, besides just zombie formalism, he kind of uh, I thought it was great because it's almost like he started to. Uh, describe taxonomies of yeah there's like the geometric right. abstraction yeah there. yeah so the, when we say like abstract the abstraction it, it it is a lot it's a lot bigger than that too there's like different kind of uh camps in that and so mm-hmm. i wonder how like how do you guys relate to the different camps yeah. of abstraction
0: yeah. like where how do you would locate you locate your where, yeah work your both of y'all's work in that world
2: yeah um it's 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 really complicated i think a lot of it comes out, of, and like what you were talking about with the the you know, the Fauvist exhibition you saw, yeah. And and you know, I think a lot of it comes out of this kind of uh, re-examination of Abex, you know. And um, at least I think that's where it originated, you know, going going back to that history of painting and specifically like this American post-war. Uh, you know, way of painting.
1: Yeah, Um, I feel like that's a big deal because I feel like it came exactly when America was in its deepest, you know, recession Mm -hmm. and, you know, and then it's like, let's go back to what we know works. Right, right. There's
0: also a thing where these, I mean, again, this is just my perception and this is just kind of an LA-centric thing, but a lot of this proliferation of abstract painting, I see, like, there's not as much heroicism in it is my perception like it's, the, it doesn't seem like a,
2: no, I mean, I think a lot of it, there's, there's a, there's a lot of cynicism, cynicism for sure. Cynicism in it. Um, right. Like you the know. opposite of exactly. you
0: know, shirtless yeah, yeah. Jackson Pollock mm-hmm. with a cigarette, like right.
2: breaking the whole thing wide open.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know? Cause we've, yeah. we, we can't do that anymore. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, fine. It,
3: yeah it's, it's not being produced to break anything open. Right. It's be, being produced, mm-hmm. whether it's a ring re- examination of abstract expressionism which was you know the first large movement mm-hmm. in the united states and the and you know after world war ii new york had become the, the center of the art world and you had all the european artists moving over this is you know people from america studied in america it it didn't have the same origin and uh, i don't even know if it's actually a re-examination of it what or if it's just kind of what people have started to make and it's started to prove uh be such a huge movement and bulldoze over everything else. Yeah. And you think that's you think that's bad? It'll have its moment, but like anything, you know, there're going to be people who hopefully react strongly to it and make work in opposition of it and right. fight yeah. for that and uh I think that is what's going to be most interesting. And that's what we're missing right now is everyone is accepting this and kind of getting involved with it and be, wanting to be a part of it. But there's no one standing on the sideline fighting for something different. Yeah. Right. You know, well,
2: I think there are, but, but I, but, I, to, I guess go back and you know, to, to the original question, um, about our, you know, my work or our own work. Um, I, and I was, when I, when my work, you know, I started, Started to push uh, towards a more abstract direction. I think I was really interested, um, you know, looking back on on that history of of uh, abstract painting and specifically post war American abstract painting, and seeing that as you know being very specific to a time and place and when it came about and when it happened, and then seeing uh, what the potential for abstract painting now was or is and what its relationship to its own time, you know, would be. Cause I feel like it has like abstract painting has to have, a, a some kind of relationship to its, its time and place, um, to, to, to be meaningful. I mean, you know, I think back then a lot of, a lot of the, the kind of, uh, Meaning or content of that work came about because of its radical newness. You yeah, know? it was a
0: crisis of representation. Exactly, right.
2: and and that we no longer have that now. So so how does how does uh, an, an abstract painting now function? That 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 uh, potential for like you know shock is gone. You know,
1: um, well, and also I mean it's funny because we're talking about abstract expressionism now in a kind of sociological sensibility mm-hmm. right now, but I mean. Mm-hmm you know, reading, like, Michael Fried and, like, Clement Greenberg, there was, like, pretensions towards, like, social science. Like, right. describing... Yeah. Or religion, even. Yeah, yeah. describing, yeah. like, types of brushstrokes as these kind of revelatory spiritual things, mm-hmm. which... And then also, like, really scientific, in a way. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, you know, I find that very inspirational because, you know, as a writer... I enjoy just kind of, you know, doing that same thing, but kind of making fun of it. Right. Um, because <laughs> a lot of that writing is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Greenberg was an it, asshole. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but so, I mean, I like that at least we're talking about it in this, you know, not pseudoscientific, but like kind of thinking about painting in a kind of sociological way, mm-hmm. you know, how it, even though it right. is like abstract expressionism. So, that's not a question. But <laughs> I'm cut this bit. <laughs> but, go uh, on.
0: I mean, like, why? I guess what we're bandying about, bandying about, we'll cut this bit yeah. too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what we're skirting around is, is, I mean, what do you guys think is the reason? Like, why, why the proliferation? Like, what socioeconomically, or like, what is it? I mean, aside from the market thing, which yeah. is obvious, like, it's an easy thing to sell. They're nice to look at. Anybody, yeah. whether they know about art or they don't, knows, like, recognizes. An abstract painting on a wall, yeah, as art. Capital exactly.
2: A. I mean, it looks like how art's supposed to look a lot right. of the time, right. um, And I think you know, there's like there, maybe it maybe it does come down to like a, a, a kind of a reassurance, you know, um, it's also, for whatever it, reason. It's, it's also like, in, like
1: a way to inhabit a genre. Yeah, I find like in in fiction and writing, like that's kind of a big thing. Like you pick a genre and then you mess with it. You you exactly perform. The genre but you also are doing something else right and it's and then it gets a little postmodern and i don't like to go there necessarily right. but yeah i mean
2: and i guess to try to get back to the original question again so, yes. No, yeah. I, well, yes you're, uh, you're a I good
1: actually, radio host yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh uh i i think you know in in terms of my own work i mean yeah. it, it's i uh, you know definitely you know there's definitely been a, a dialogue uh, to, to some degree with abstract, abstract expressionism in my work, my most recent work, I'd say. Um, uh, but it's, um, you know, I, I guess it did start with that question of, you know, like what, what, how, how does abstract painting function now, um, in this time and place and, uh, you know, and, and still not coming up with like a a concise answer really. And I think, you know, there's a lot of doubt involved in that. And I think that's really important. A lot of the work that I see now, I don't, I don't see that questioning. I don't see that doubt. I just, I, I see, uh, um, I see, you know, things that look like art, you know, look how art, how art's supposed to look and, and, you know, being, uh, you know, almost, you know, produced in like a factory way
3: right um yeah the question of why like why are you yeah. why are you making it and, and that's that's not happening yeah too often and I, I know in my work in relation to the article we're discussing of, of jerry Saltz is you know there were a few things in there that that hit home but but i for me that was great because i i took account of that and i went to my student and i was like okay why am i doing these specific things that may he he, he referenced and i also t- took it um much too personal you know he wasn't attacking me (laughs) maybe one day we'll see what happens yeah but there were very specific things in there i was like okay what you know i'm uh, there are a few little notes of this song that i'm using in my work and why am i using it and is there a purpose for me to be using it you know it, it to the earlier discussion about like uh, me and Tom are using photographs as reference. Like why would we use a photo as a mm-hmm. reference right. if we're making a painting when we're already have such an intimate knowledge of the things we're painting. Right. So is it necessary, you know? And yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people are looking at it and, and discussing the necessity of it or it, I don't think they, they worry about a discussion around it at all right you know and, and maybe that's the the biggest issue is that there is no discussion about it
0: well yeah i mean is it is it necessary i mean i'm, I'm sitting here with two painters i'm a painter right, right. why yeah. and i often deal with like why why would i use paint on a canvas you know mm-hmm. right and, th- and i've dealt with it by like making the the conceptual aspect of the work be about painting you right. know and that's and that's the best i can come up with yeah <laughs> you know but what about y'all
2: yeah. I mean, I think anytime, you know, any painter has to, uh, at some point kind of go back to, I guess, you know, the root of the problem, right? Like, hmm. like, like, why are you, why, why are you painting, you know, and, and, and then, you know, why are you painting in the way you're painting? Um, and, uh, I think, I don't know, in, in my case, I think it really kind of comes back to just like, a. a a type of, of pleasure. I mean, it, 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 it originates, you know, from that, you know, and I, I don't think uh, uh, I can really reduce it any any further beyond that.
1: Mm-hmm. But,
2: you know, from that, I mean, I think it has to, uh, you know, find and derive, you know, further, more complex meaning.
0: Um, yeah, then what? I mean, that's, I would never say that out loud. I mean, yeah. I, I agree. But like, yeah. The idea that you enjoy painting and yeah. move, moving paint around. Yeah. Like, is that—is that good enough?
2: its I don't think right. it's good enough because I think uh, – uh- well, I feel like it, it, it's not good enough in, in in the end, but I think it's good enough as a start. I mean, right. I think yeah. as a beginning, I think, I think that's a very legitimate beginning. Right. And if you're a
0: thinking person and a thinking artist, then yeah. you can just take that right. as a as a jumping off point. Yeah, Right, right. right.
3: Yeah, like we shouldn't <clears throat> dismiss that that can be the starting yeah. point. Right. Well, and yeah. I think that those well,
1: questions think... are asking, why do you paint and why do you paint this way? Those are like calisthenics. Like yeah. if you're saying, if you're seeing other abstract painting and exactly. you don't see those questions in the painting on mm-hmm. some level, right. But this, that doubt, you also have to see the like. I think you said the pleasure. I kind of wish that Roland Barthes could write about painting today, because right, I think right. he would have a lot to say. Like I heard, the problem. Oh, he's here. Let's bring yeah, him. Yeah, let's bring Roland Barthes <laughs> out here. But I mean, because we're talking about how natural it is. Mm-hmm. That's Barthes' jam. It's like right. this is a you know naturalizing this thing is a you know is a trick. Yeah. That um, there's it's not just because it is. It's we're actually asking these questions and right. finding out something else. And then it's just the pleasure of yeah. The paint in yeah. this case, not the text, mm-hmm. um, you yeah. know, and I think that's I think that's very legitimate.
2: I think so. well, I think you know you have to realize that, despite what you know people may pretend to be the case sometimes, like all art is is originally you know a pretty selfish act. You know, it's it's it's, right. it's you know you're not. It's it doesn't really improve the world right away, you know. It's not like the right. selfless act by any means
3: at the beginning, you know. It's very yeah. much yeah, you've done, got done for say. the
2: done for the artist, you know. The right. artist makes art for the artist originally, like at the right. origin.
3: Yeah, when we were um, discussing earlier, the desert. I mean, a, a big point for me was the the issue of solitude of it, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it is it's a selfish act, and then I want to go back to a, a point you were discussing earlier where you were discussing the heroism of abstract expressionism, mm-hmm. and that's not something that we're we're discussing in the work now and you know you don't have the shirtless group of abvexers in front of a right. you know a eleven foot painting in <laughs> in a gigantic loft in chelsea um but m- maybe we're looking at the opposite of that like these are no longer heroic acts yeah these things are they're they're more simple than that, and they're they're moments. Of beauty that aren't heroic, and, and uh, why does that, everything have to be so great and have such a, a grand purpose? Right. To There'll have be a, a purpose. sublime moment yeah. where right. you lose I mean, yourself in yeah, front of the I, Rothko I, or whatever. I do
2: think it's important, though, for, you know, it, it, if you say that, you know, all art begins, you know, as a kind of as a selfish act, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, that, then in a certain point you have to. Uh, say well what differentiates like you know certain art from other types of art and you could maybe argue that you know once that selfish act kind of transcends itself and you know becomes mm-hmm. you know meaningful to other people besides yourself you know and 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 uh, or, you know gives pleasure to other people besides yourself then it, maybe it achieves uh achieves something and it doesn't have to be heroic at all by by any means but right. yeah i don't know
0: and there's, I mean, we shouldn't just pick on abstract painting. I'm sure there's, I'm sure, I know there's plenty of performances that are <laughs> grounded in the pleasure of doing the thing by right. the performer or sculptures or yeah. whatever, yeah. Bo- right. books even, you know. <laughs> For sure. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> Let's not leave
1: the writers out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're in this. You're yeah. in this, Matt. So we're probably going to wrap up soon, but I kind of want to ask what about some recent work or shows um, Anything that you guys have coming up or anything like that, you can tell us about.
2: Uh, yeah, I I just uh, opened a show uh, in November um, in New York at CRG Gallery of uh, work done over the past year, um, and and they are um, large abstract paintings. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, that's what we're talking yeah, about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, it's it's a it's a, a, a somewhat feel as a it's very new but it feels somewhat transitional i think i can safely say at this point even though i'm still really you know it's still very you know close and i don't think i can really get like a good objective view of it but um you know there's there's it seems to kind of be veering back into some type of representation kind of slowly and and like uh maybe hesitantly there's like uh um what I kind of see is like an emergent, like phantom representation, phantom figuration starting to creep into it, which I'm really interested by. But, and if people want to go find those on the interwebs. On the interwebs, go? just uh, go to the CRG website and um,
3: they, they, have, they have it all up. Right on. Yeah. Right. yeah. Nicholas, what do you got going on? uh not till like late march early april i have a an exhibition coming up in culver city at western project gallery oh great and, uh, yeah. yeah it'll be a solo exhibition there and it uh it'll be kind of the it'll run the whole gamut it'll have photographs sculptures and paintings i've made and uh this is my my second show with them and uh, the the work has changed a bit at least i think and uh and <laughs> so that it I'm I'm right kind of in the midst of making all the work, so it's it's a little difficult to to get enough distance on it and and really tell, and uh, so we'll see how it goes.
0: Excellent. Well, Tom Reidodge and Nicholas Shake, thank you for being on the People. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you. thank you. You've been listening to the People on K-Chung 1630 AM. Our theme music is "Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller.
0: You can find us on iTunes by searching for the People Radio please take
1: the time to subscribe
0: rate and review the show
1: or go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page
0: and now we're going to go out with a song from the band new weather which is comprised of seattle musicians sean Curley, amber rosino and our guest on today's show Marie dodge we'll hear the first track off their self-titled debut album from butterscotch records called slip